Welcome to the Ralph Moore Podcast. Gain the leadership advantage as Ralph pulls wisdom from his bag of over 50 years experience in planting and leading multiplying churches. Our goal is to help you live as a leader you'd want to follow. You'll learn about making disciples and planting churches, but beyond that, you'll gain practical wisdom about subjects like how to manage your team, handling difficult people, pulling a congregation off a growth plateau, and even money management. You're leaving. And I said, Ralph, who's going to take your... And we said, you said, we're not sure, but we think it's... I said, you're crazy. No, no. Mean- no, 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 no. You leaned over my desk. You hulked over my desk, put your hands on my desk, got in my face and said, you are out of your mind. Stopped out of the office. You know, and I'm thinking here, I'm the runt of the litter. You have a whole staff. Of, you had Don Stewart, Randy Sanford, other guys, you know, Dan Beach. You know, there were these guys had been with you quite a while. The runt of the litter. I've only been there a year and a half. Dan, Dan Boyd. I just, I just couldn't believe it. I thought this is, this is crazy. And then, you know, we talked a little bit further and, and you said, you're going to announce it this next weekend. So I thought, oh no. That was the second most scary day of my life. First day was when my first wife left me. The second day was when you were going to announce it, what, what the plan was. And I was to be highly visible, standing against the back wall of the auditorium. I'll never forget this. You spell it all out. As savvy as you are, you're anticipating their response. And you said, and you're probably wondering who's going to take my place. And they're all in shock. And without sipping a beat, point Zach. And man, I'm telling you, that was just one of the most challenging days. Just to stand there and have people look back. Some people said, what's a Zach? Other people said, Zach. And other people said, hey, if that's what God said, it'll work with him. Let me, let me interject a little bit here. I had gone to the church council. There's a guy named Tom McCarthy who had always been the standing preacher when I was gone. He's a medical doctor, great married girl in our church, and eventually started a, a huge church in Santa Rosa, California, and kept his medical practice. So he would be the natural go-to person. But in prayer, I felt like the Lord said it was be you. And so I went to Tom and told him what was going on and that uh, I, I thought it should be you instantly. And he's, he's a guy with something to lose because he would like the job. He goes, no, you're right. This is exactly right. So then I go to the church council and I, I told them what was going down. The immediate response in chorus, like out of maybe nine guys in the room or something, three of them go, so who'll take your place, Zach? And I go, that's what I think. And everybody then goes, well, that's what we think. It was just as simple as that. So then I go to the church. Did the th- I pointed you out and, and it was kind of a, it, it was meant to be dramatic. It was kind of embarrassing. It was dramatic. <laughs> and then the the following week, and we were at our peak. That We had hit like 2,200. We'd never had gotten that. And the following week, 200 people had left. And I started hearing all these rumors that if, or whenever Ralph leaves, I'm leaving. You know, and so I just stood up and defied the congregation. Kind of the stupid things I do. Uh, because we probably could have held a bunch of these people. But I just got and said, you know what? If you all leave, when I leave, everybody's going to feel bad because I left. And now they're going to feel double bad because you left too. That's really stupid. So if you plan to leave when I go and Zach becomes a pastor, you should leave right now. And the following week, there were 200 more people gone. So we lost 400 people very, very quickly. And then a funny little thing was, because you had preached before, but the after the announcement, the first 
time, the first weekend that I was gone and, and you were in this, the whole weekend, uh, I think the sermon went an hour and 40 minutes or something, and they started calling you the long play Nazarian. And then I could use that because I, if I made jokes about long play Nazarian, and, and I started making a little bit caustic jokes about you. I'd make them be funny, but they'd be barbed. And people would come to me and, and go, you shouldn't have said that. And, and, I, and I began to realize this is good because I can help them transfer their affection. And so then I, I started asking you to stand at the back door after church and before church, and I'd go hide. I got that from Absalom in the Bible. <laughs> but uh, if, if I could position you there so they'd start to love you long before I left. And then, of course, it, r- right after I left, the church would grow immensely. And you guys put back way more people than we ever had lost. But I'm sorry I interrupted. Go for it. Yeah, I, I, it was just, uh, it was, uh, we transitioned over a period of 18 months. That was the plan. I think probably in retrospect, we could have done a shorter period of time. It gave us opportunity to, like I said, for the congregation to really come to grips with who I am, who I was, uh, bear with me a little bit. <clears throat> also, you know, when you when you left in May of 83, I'll never forget that. We put you on an airplane. I think there was a delay of a month or something. And we finally put you on the airplane and flew off. It was exciting because here was my first opportunity to plant a church. I mean, you know, we we're obviously doing it together, but uh, I went to a church council and, you know, we talked about support and stuff and just to get you really firmly launched and entrenched. It was, a, it was a great, it was a great honor for me just to participate in that process. I'm going to get real emotional here, but uh, you'd marked my life. And there was a, there's always been this sense of loyalty. I want to say thank you. You know, um, when I left, I was the 30th guy to leave the church we started, the started church. And had you not been you, it would have been really hard. And you were loyal, you were faithful, you knew what the heck you were doing. And you guys went on and, and planted churches. I mean, I think for every church that we directly planted out of Hope Chapel, Kanyoi Bay, you guys also planted a church somewhere in the world. And you probably don't know this because, uh, you know, I've written the books, people make all the fuss. But the truth is, stuff you've done in Africa, you, you've invested a lot more money of what we did in Hawaii. And so to me, there's always been, and that's why this is so important, that what we're doing here today. This is the foundation of, of what people call the Hope Chapel movement. And it, I, I've been able to be pretty nimble and free, and you know I do some goofy from time to time. But the the anchor was always uh, Hope Chapel Hermosa. You know the the logo for the church has always been an anchor. The scripture this hope we have as an anchor of our soul, and that's of course talking about Jesus. But you guys have been, and you personally have been the anchor in my life. And you know life has pulled us in a lot of different directions, and we haven't been as close as as I wish. And now I'm back in California. I've only been to LA twice. And I was in uh, LA once without getting to go to the church. And the other time you were on sabbatical. So we still haven't really connected. But I just uh, want you to know how much I appreciate you and Julie and, and, and Michael. I bumped into Michael in Northern California. And, you know, I remember this little boy when I left town. Yeah. And uh, we had hung out together in North Carolina, and he was, you know, growing up. And, and then this, this handsome young guy comes up to me, and he's very put together and introduces himself, tells me about some conflict that had happened in the church and, and, and how he took a whack at the guys that had created the conflict. And it's like, oh, my gosh, this guy is cut from the same cloth. He, he's really got something here. And uh, I'm, just, I'm just so proud of, of, of you and all that you 
I'd like to have you move a little bit and talk. We'll get into, I really want to talk about multiplication or planting, but I want you to talk about the whole real estate thing. To me, it was genius. Uh, we had the bowling alley. We were instantly in a fight with the supermarket next door over parking because adjoining parking lots and we actually had the right to each other's parking. You ended up buying the building and uh, a whole block of property up there. And then you've kind of shifted around, done business with the city and in some really wonderful ways. And I think that's a good example for some other people. So just take us into some of that. Well, I, I have to attribute this to, to God. You know, he didn't speak to me audibly like he does you, you know. Uh, only once or twice <laughs> and only when he's yelling. <laughs> but, you know, I knew about I knew about Lucky Market next door to us. We didn't know the details, and I just thought one day, I says, "What, what, if, what if we, what if we had that building?" And I just, I had this picture in my mind of utilizing that building and having all the parking. So we inquired, and as it turns out, Lucky's didn't own the building; they were leasing it, and they leased, they were leasing it from a uh, insurance company in uh, Vermont or New Hampshire. And so we had a guy in our church council, Dan McFarland. He was a commercial real estate broker. So. We called that insurance company. We said, this piece of property, uh, we're wondering if you'd be willing to sell it. What's the price? And they said, oh, we're, we don't break up our, our real estate portfolios. We said, well, what if we uh, came back to talk to you? He said, oh, don't send anybody back here. We're not interested. No, 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 no. Well, we went away for a whole weekend. Church council, the staff, we prayed and fasted. Lord, what would you have us do? So we came back and we had a pretty, much, pretty strong consensus. We're going to fly Dan back there, meet with them. And, and get the lay of the land, maybe make an offer. And uh, the door opened. God opened the door miraculously. Uh, it was astounding. It turns out the guy who was the head of their real estate division was a Christian. Dan explained to him what we wanted to do. And he said, uh, he said, well, I think I can make it happen. And so they, uh, they, made, us, uh, they, they made us an offer, basically, I'm trying to remember the sale, price. interest only payments for the first five years, and then a balloon payment. And it was a very, very workable deal. Dan worked it out for us. It made sense. So we came back and we, we bought the building. Now the issue was with Lucky. Uh, the lease, they were paying $450 a month. $450 a month. And you bought it for a couple of million or something, right? Uh, yeah, a couple of million. Two cents a square foot. So we talked to them almost monthly. Would they be willing to vacate and sell up the lease? By that time, we realized... It was a training store, so it wasn't really critical to their operation. So that's what we said, you know, maybe they'd be interested. They said, no, 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 no. Their occupancy costs so low that they'd be crazy to uh, leave that space. Anyway, Lucky sold out to American Stores, which was Albertsons. We made the same thing to Albertsons. No, 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 no. And then uh, we knew we had 18 years left on the lease. So we said, okay, we'll, we'll just wait them out. And I think it was like two or three years left on the lease. Albertsons was going through trouble. There's a big upheaval in the supermarket business at that junk. And we had a guy who was in our church, a lawyer, Bruce Bailey, precious, who was helping us through this process. He's with his wife in the delivery. He's delivering their their only child. He's on the phone negotiating with with Albert's really crazy. I just can't tell you how crazy it was, how God just brought us through. The the parking lot just east of the Albertsons building, they did own. We didn't know that. And so we negotiated the uh, the sale of the lease 
and that parking lot for $2 million. We'd have paid a lot more for it. It was that valuable. So in the meantime, we had bought the office building just east of that, which was the 15,000 square foot office building. We bought another building and we never, ever pursued these other buildings. They came to us. There was a guy, I think you remember who he was, Dan Matsumoto. Oh, yeah, yeah. My daughter worked for him for a while. Yeah, he was in real estate. Right. He called us up. He said that prospect building is going to come up on the market. Do you guys want to buy it? I didn't even have to think twice. I remember talking to Jack Hayford. He says, if you ever have a chance to buy property, buy it. and Don't ever sell it. You know, they church on Williams property all over that. All right. Van Nuys area. So that stuck in my head. I said, yes. So I went to the church council. We had a you know big meeting with the congregation. And so we ended up buying that. So we owned one, two, three, four contiguous spaces of property. The next building, which is now our present administration building, was built a three-story office building. I think you were still there when Loomis and Ike built that. Yeah. 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 That building went back to the bank. And this guy shows up out of nowhere and says, uh, this building is it's a fire sale. Would you guys want to buy it? We bought it for 700000 Wow. 700000 It's worth $6 million right now. And then we looked at the building next door, which is 30000 square foot off. We thought, oh, we could put a school in there. We could do so much with that building. And again, a real estate trust had that in their portfolio. We contacted them. They weren't interested. And we dropped it. But we always had our eye on that building. They called us back a year later and said, you still interested in this building? We said, oh, yeah. So they sold it to us, four and a half million. We ended up, it just, the income from these buildings was so helpful. We just start pouring money away into our building fund. Five, six years later, we'd had, we'd borrowed money to buy the luck, to buy out the Lucky Lease, to buy out the Albertsons, the parking lot, the building on Prospect, and as well, the uh, 30,000 square foot building. So we're 8 million in debt. We said, you know what? Let's sell the 30,000 square foot office. We sold it for eight and a half million and paid off all of our debts, put the balance in our building. And we're currently debt-free. We're debt-free. And we've been that way for years now. So we don't have to pound on the congregation for money, for buildings and stuff. And we ended up negotiating a lease. Uh, We talked to a number of different grocery uh, chains about renting the uh, supermarket building. We used that as a youth center for several years. And finally, we thought, you know, we we need to make better use of that building because the whole corner would be dark all weekend. And we wanted the city to have a good attitude towards us. And we said, look, if we bring an income producing entity into that building, you know, that'll enhance our relationship with the city. They know we own it. Uh, they're frustrated with the largest landowners in Hermosa. We own all this property and a lot of it was off the tax. We went to them. We said, look, we're going to, we're probably going to lease this building. We had so many offers to buy it. We were told by commercial guys, the Pacific Coast Highway in Artesia and Hermosa be the most desirable commercial corner in Southern California. Yeah. Anybody anywhere in Southern California knows how to get to that intersection whoever you are without gps yeah so we negotiated with a number of different commercial uh, grocery chains and finally settled on this company called lazy acres they were willing to pay top dollar they completely went in rehab the building took six months and uh, put 12 million dollars in it's beautiful they are the most popular market in the south bay they're doing great and uh, we generate every single month uh we generate one hundred twelve thousand dollars Wow, that's a lot of money. And you're generating a lot of foot traffic right past your front door. Yeah, so people come and, uh, you know, they service our, like we have potlucks and things like that, parties, they they service us great. And, uh, and then that was phase one. Phase two is to rehab the office building uh, prospect. So we're right in the middle of that. 
phase three will be the remodel of our building. We just feel like it's such a tired building. And the city, given the traffic in the building, the capacity in the building, our egress is limited. They've been very patient with us knowing that we have plans to rehab the building. They won't red, red tag us. So that's where we are. It, but God has just given us grace and provided for us. Even during this last month, four or five months of this COVID nonsense, you know, we've been online services and our giving has been up. Attendance has been up. We haven't really skipped a beat. The thing that's impressive to me, because anybody listening to this point could be thinking about a real estate empire, but you guys have aggressively been making disciples. And over the years, I mean, it ebbs and flows, does for all of us. Uh, I'm finding that, that Hawaii is not planting churches nearly as much as they were, as fast as they were uh, since uh, I mean, Wayne Cordero and myself have moved on from Hawaii. Because what happened in Hawaii wasn't just us. I mean, we kind of lit the mat. And then the New Hopes came in and the Calvary Chapels got back into church planting. But the real Hawaii story is the host of uh, mostly Pentecostal churches that have gotten started. When we went there, it, they told us it was illegal to meet in a public school, although some churches were there. We eventually got in, took a, about a year. But by the time that I started the last church, when I handed off Hope Chapel Kanoe Bay, which is now Anchor Church, to my son and the next generation, we had to start in a movie theater for, um, gosh, we were paying $125,000 a year for five hours on Sunday mornings in the theater. We couldn't find a school to rent because every school in the state has one church. Some have three churches in them. So our model was broken. Our model was start churches in public schools. And so we've had to move on. Now we're thinking micro church and all that. But there's an ebb and flow to this. It really rises and falls with leadership, but then also with the culture and the climate and that go on. But talk to us a little bit about, and kind of take us back to 1983 after I left. And, and then you guys just were right in the business of, of um, raising up guys. I know the, the HCMI was a big part of what you did. Mini Church was a big part of training guys. Just t- take us into that world and what's happened around the world. Well, uh, as I said earlier, I mean, you taught us well. We just, you handed us a model that was very workable and didn't need to be changed. And so, you know, we continue. Hey, thanks for being with us today. Uh, this was part two of a three-part interview with Zach Nazarian, who replaced me as the pastor in Hermosa Beach. Next week, we're going to talk a lot about the churches they've planted around the world and how they go about it. I think you're going to really be blessed. If you enjoyed today's podcast, be sure to subscribe and check his blog at ralphmoore.net.